you've got to fight super hard to be healthy and we need the healthiest version of you possible because that's actually what's best for your support network. That's best for your community. The healthiest you is the best and it's not selfish to do that. How do you build this and yourself and your own community in a way so that you can last long enough to produce a truly positive result in the community you're working in? Welcome to Ecosystems for Change, where we co-author the playbook on transforming communities by amplifying the impact of changemakers around us. Whether you are an entrepreneur or otherwise changemaker yourself, a citizen who loves their community with a passion and wants to see it thrive, whether you are a mentor, investor, support organization, advisor, philanthropic funder, economic developer, or policymaker, Learn the practical tools and proven tactics of ecosystem builders from all around the world to better support the dreamers, doers, tinkerers, and makers in your community by taking a systems approach to social change. I'm your host, Annika Horn. In today's episode, meet my friend David Hirsch. David is one of those rare people who, within two minutes of talking to you, makes you feel completely seen, heard, understood, and valued. I hope you get some of that in this conversation. From his office in Chattanooga, Tennessee, he shares with us his experience with burnout as a community builder. David talks about not only the mental and emotional toll, but the physical manifestations of his work-related post-traumatic stress disorder. Grounded in his experience as a youth worker, David has developed a unique approach to taking care of himself and others by deeply engaging our own support networks as an active self-care practice. Find out more from David himself. It is such a dream to, I've seen you what, like twice in a month now. And I think in between there was like two years of total radio silence. And now I get to see you again and talk to you. I know. I'm so excited. I've missed you and that whole community so much. And so it was great. I'm glad we're getting to uh, do some more stuff together again. I know. And the timing was wonderful because I knew the season was coming up. You and I were sitting in Durham outside of that food hall at the SCN Summit and just catching up on life. And I was like, yep, okay, we need to talk about this in public for people to hear more. So thank you for making this happen. Absolutely. Because the last time, maybe it wasn't the last, but the second to last time was when we were at eShip talking about this. And then it was like break. And then came right back on the same topic. <laughs> Great. Neither one of us has made any process on the front of self-care and, and taking care of ourselves. For those of you, I mean, most people here don't know you, David, and we're about to change that. But please do tell us if we were coming to your community in Chattanooga, Tennessee for the first time, where would you take us? What do we have to experience, see, eat, drink, watch to get a sense for what Chattanooga is all about? I mean, hopefully you'd come for like a week, but I'll do a, <laughs> I'll do a quick version. One, we definitely would just, uh, the nice part here, we could walk from my, out my windows here. We could walk down. There's an old train bridge that's a walking bridge over the river. And on both sides, there's restaurants and things, but there's Clumpy's ice cream on this side. So we would grab some Clumpy's ice cream, um, pick something up from there, and we'd walk over the walking bridge. Hopefully, my favorite street performer would be out there, Matthew, um, playing guitar. And he takes requests on the spot and is amazing. So we'd listen to some music on the bridge while eating ice cream. Hopefully there'd be people down in the river on paddle boards and stuff. Um, and there's like three beautiful blue bridges. Um, so go from there into downtown. And downtown, I'd skip the tourist area. There's a little tourist area right there, but we'd keep going. Two of my favorite spots, I'd probably take you to Common House right now. 
for sure. Um, they are a the three location co-working space, but that doesn't really do it justice. They're really a true third space company. So I'm there pretty much every day. Uh, not today, I'm at home. Um, but I'm usually there and it is a gym, a social club, co-working space, restaurant. There's an outdoor pool, four bars, all sorts of events. And so we would go down there and we'd just meet some of the people because now that space has gathered people from all the worlds that I've traveled in here in Chattanooga, just my favorite people. So there's there are folks from my church that are there. And our church was an entrepreneurial-based church, so we probably stop by the mission and see them. It's a restaurant during the week, but they are all working there. The people from CoLab, um, that were all the small business development people here. They're, they're all there now. Alexis. So you get to meet Alexis. You get to meet, um, Tim Moore, who's heading up a restaurant that then we'd go eat at afterwards, mm. um, called Proof. So he, so we'd go in that space, hang out there, meet people. And then we'd probably head back to MLK. There's a big field, Bessie Smith Hall. It's where a Black Lives Matter mural is painted on the street. And Tim has started, working on a restaurant called Proof that has four chefs all the time. And the idea is that they proof of concept a chef and it's in this old brick building. They have jazz music. And right now there's one there, a guy um, running a restaurant called Neutral Ground. And he actually won Chopped recently, but it's Cajun and African cuisine mixed. It's awesome. So it, it, he makes red beans and rice, which may sound like nothing. It's amazing. Amazing. So stuff like that. So That'd be my quick tour. And then probably at night, we'd hang out at the top of the Kinley, which overlooks all the bridges and stuff, at a whiskey bar called Whiskey Thief. And we'd have some excellent local whiskey and watch the sunset and all that stuff. That'd be my that'd be my day. It sounds like I need to get a trip to Chattanooga in really, really soon. David, we met at an eShip summit. And next thing I know is you and I are running a session together at this unconference about, hey, ecosystem builders need to take better care of themselves and each other, and we want to figure out what that looks like. And one of the things I've always appreciated about your your thinking in this space is not just self-care, that is, you know, get a massage and, and make sure you take a day off every six months, but really thinking about how do we pull in the support network? How do we pull in spouses? partners, immediate family, to really build a more robust system. It immediately resonated. It's also a very radical, great approach to self-care and, and preventing burnout. How did you arrive at that conclusion? Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you came to believe that this is a true pathway forward for ecosystem builders? Yes. Gosh, it's a dangerous question. I could talk about this forever. Um, so it actually came out of youth work for me. Um, I was I actually worked with youth for about 15 years and ran conferences and I came in contact with hundreds and hundreds of other youth workers, which has the shortest lifespan for job and career of any industry. You know, so they on average last 18 months per position and 30 months per career. Wow. And these are the people helping youth. And um, this is across religious borders and stuff. So anywhere working with youth, uh, middle and high school kids. And so I started thinking about that problem as a, you know, what are the causes of that shortness? Because the longer those people can last, the better. And so in that space, I started talking to folks about them. I started with the normal concepts of what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And the more I talked to them, I found them coming back to me with complaints from their support network that their biggest limitation 
um, because most of us are givers, right? That, that go into this work. We want to help other people and I will abuse myself almost to no end to do that. So the limit comes actually when my support network says you're killing yourself and this is not good for you. That's when I'm taught to leave. I would never choose it myself. I actually would, I would, I would just continue to burn out worse and worse and worse. But those people will step in and say, you're not healthy anymore. This isn't working. And the worst is when they say this isn't working for me, right? When they say that, um, that is when at an early moment, this is before my biggest burnout, but I was sitting with my wife at the middle of the summers in the middle of conferences. And she said to me, what you're working on is damaging our marriage. Oh, it was a huge wake up call. Change had to start happening. And that was the beginning of this. So I started then asking different questions of people of what would help your helpers? Because certainly there's some things that can be solved through our own community. Me being around other ecosystem builders, I can get best practices and things like that. But often what happens if you don't think about the helper is that we actually encourage each other to do more and to burn out more by accident. So I started asking those questions and it became really apparent that we needed to treat ourselves more like places where it's life or death. The places where these kinds of things that already existed were the military spouses. Um, there's like firefighter spouses, same thing where it is, they need each other. That support network needed each other. It needed a community. And so the question became, how do we make sure that that group is strong? And so it, um, as I started asking those questions, it, it changed how I thought about even the people themselves. We're in the self-care world, right? The care for yourself world. I, I, I find it always funny that we don't accept, I kind of have a premise that I don't think self-care really works that well. I think group care works well. That has to be how you do it. So how do you build up where they're strong enough to handle when you're under stress? How do you make sure that they understand how to help you in those tough times? How do you make sure that they have someone else to talk to about what is it like being married to a me? <laughs> they needed that because they have no one. Um, and in, and especially it was, it may be just as acute for us, but in the youth world, not only would that happen, but usually that spouse or support network is asked to even help with the work, which frustrates yeah. them even further. So instead it was like, let's pull that out and let's really deal with that piece so that they were strong and that they could last because they will then help me not burn out. They'll help me be my healthier self. So that's, that's where that focus came from. And it, it totally changed instead of trying to have a, a resource for the worker or for the doer, it was a resource for the whole person, which meant their family, whatever that family is, need to be resourced. I have so many follow-up questions. Where do I start? First off, this has never occurred to me, and now it sounds crazy, but we're all about ecosystem building. It takes a village to see entrepreneurs thrive, and we all have to pitch in. And yet, when it comes to ourselves, we're like these lone wolves who pour into other people, into our communities, with so much, yet we don't consider our our ecosystem, our support network. We are community people. Why aren't we community people for ourselves? Of course, that's how we thrive. And one of the dangers and one of the disappointments, one of the burnout pieces for us often is because we do that and because we burn out in a spot, we end up having to change roles fairly often. That is devastating as a community person. Um, I, I recently was writing a friend about it and I go all these places and build these communities and I can't keep them. I don't get to keep them. 
and I pour everything into it. It's, I love it. So it's, so where I work is my friends, is my spiritual, emotional nourishment, you know? And so, but then I leave them all and maybe I keep one person per place sort of, but then I throw myself fully into the next one. So I actually don't create, I don't curate a very good community for myself and I keep spending it and losing it and spending it and losing it. So the burnout gets more, you know, we end up with PTSD at a certain point, which is, I tell you about that. Like I actually am in counseling for PTSD because of repeated situations like that. We're idiots. Why do we not figure it out? Because we love playing the martyr. And you actually said something earlier on that I had in a different conversation in this season about we willingly sacrifice ourselves for others and give, give, give. And when I spoke to Isaac Jeffries in Australia, he's figured out that that's not a sustainable model. You can't keep giving without refilling your own cup. And I asked him how he figured that out because I am the same. I think I can't ask other people to give as much because I know I can give more than everybody else. And I happily do so if that means I'm making a difference, I'm supporting my community, I'm making the world a better place. So it's okay if I don't sleep, I don't get paid. But of course, those who love me, who are around me, watch this happen and probably start not appreciating my work, not because of the work, but because they see what it does to us. And I think it would be amazing to bring my husband and your wife and Larkin's husband and all of our spouses and children and best friends into a room so they can lean on each other. And they even get to experience from other perspectives what it is we're trying to do and why we are so hard-nosed about doing it 100% all the time. I told you I got to do that with a group of youth workers in California. Tell us more. That was my theory was we got them together you know, there, something powerful would happen. Um, and I was in a faith space with these people. So we, so imagine it's being redesigned slightly, but we got them all there. Um, they brought their families. If they had kids, they brought kids. I had childcare for them. Um, so some of it was just to give space. So in the schedule, we just hung out the first night with wine and, and we were in this beautiful place in Marin County, California. It was gorgeous. This retreat center and just hung out got to meet each other a little bit and, and most of there's hesitancy amongst the spouses uh, because they didn't know any of these people and where you take me. And usually the workers more extroverted or often and the spouse is introverted as a compliment. So met each other, hung out the second day. We ended up um, a little time in the morning where we split them out and all the workers talked about what are the difficulties of the work and what are the difficulties that we think we cause for our support network and the support network people had the same conversation of what is it like to be married to this person? What do, what do we like and, and what's hard? And so we had that time in the morning. Then I had fake things on the schedule and actually just said, there's actually nothing here and I'm going to take care of your kids. Just go spend time by yourself and then spend time together because we never do that. We never do that for ourselves. And so then we came back and the whole group, and it was about 20 people we shared um, I had one by one them go around and say, this is what I appreciate about the work you do from the supporter in front of everyone. And then other way, what do I appreciate about you and how you support me? Then we talked about what's hard. And we spent a couple hours just talking about the hard things of both. And then we went into the next room. It was an old chapel. 
and we actually had them in this instant we prayed because we were, it was a christian group but you usually could just do a speaking to each other about it you know or however people would be comfortable just blessing like i there's power in words yeah. that you say to people and so we sat there and i actually got to sit behind my wife and be thankful for her and ask for help for her man it was so powerful and then the same for me she said this is what i love about you like i hope this is great protect yourself don't you can imagine very emotional very powerful and and the point is you could do this anywhere but we don't gosh it was it was wonderful and we got done and all the spouses got together and said we need to meet on a regular basis you know we need to get together and that happened to be all all married couples except for one and um, she actually brought a friend and so we were like yeah and how do we we actually had a long conversation of like you just have a friend you don't have a like a, a partner that's always with you how does this whole group help you because you need help from all of us that conversation happened. Oh my gosh, like the whole village did it. They just did it um, just by getting them in that space. So it totally works. It totally works if we take the time to do it. I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. Uh -huh. David and I talked about <laughs> hosting a retreat for ecosystem builders with their support network. I will say upfront, and I told I told you this at the time, that I don't think I have capacity this year because I have a lot of other stuff going on, like I shared with you. And this is something I would absolutely love to explore. So whoever is listening, if you want to sign up for a retreat of this type, of this kind, with your spouses, best friends, partners, pets, children, whoever your support network is. Oh, my dog is the best support network. See, um, do reach out to me. Maybe you can convince me and or we will peer pressure David into organizing such a retreat and taking care of all of us so we can just sort ourselves out and learn how to set some boundaries and communicate with our support network and really just come out a slightly more wholesome version of ourselves on the other end. Oh, it'd be great. I'd love to. I would love to do that. I hate saying, I would love to go this to this, David. I would love to. This is just what we need. And then you say, yeah, let's do it. And I'm like, I, I'm totally overworked. I, there's no way I can do this without burning myself out. <laughs> Your main objection was, I don't know if we can get it perfect. And knowing, if you know me, it won't be perfect. It'll be great, <laughs> but it won't be perfect. If you've ever been in anything I do, perfection is not, it'll be very, very good. Very, very good, but it won't be perfect. So we'll no, go ahead and put that out there on the sales pitch so then they know what to expect. So we'll be fine. Nothing perfect, but very nourishing. David, uh, when we talked earlier, you said, yeah, this was my main burnout, but like one of the earlier ones. And I'm like, oh my God, what is going on? Can you take us back to a time either you first realized something had to change or knowing that we don't always listen the first time? When did it get so bad that you realized I can't keep going like this. I need to change the work I do, how I do the work, whatever that moment was for you. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I should have picked up these signals earlier, um, but it was recently. Um, I had, and I've worked, I've done community building in several different spaces, a nonprofit and churches and then ecosystem building work. And I was back in a, ministry setting and things were going fine I thought for a while and got to a pressure point where 
the work I was doing and what had to happen all were coming under greater scrutiny and my physical body broke down, which I had never had that happen before. I would, you know, I'd do these conferences and I would get run on four or five hours of sleep for three months working hundred hour weeks. And then I'd crash at the end of the summer. This, this time around, I ended up with vertigo and high blood pressure and, and I've always been pretty healthy. And so it was a shock to me. I went, oh, what yeah. is happening? So I go to the doctor. I actually had to go on medical leave. My doctor said, you cannot go to work like this. Luckily, the HR person there had gone through a similar thing and said, yeah, don't, you need to get healthy before you come back. So I went on medical leave, had to go on some medication, had to, and I was looking around for counseling, didn't like my first one, was getting a second one, talked to my wife, spent lots of time, upgraded my meditation practices, did all the things I could possibly do. Went back into work for a week, listened to a video of a team meeting and just comments about my work and things and went to another meeting. I was blamed for something that somebody else in the company, VP, apologized for. It was just very stressful. And I had another vertigo episode, even though I thought it was over it. My wife had to come pick me up from work. And the sweet HR lady who lived nearby, like, took me to her house to lay down. She's so great. And her dog came and snuggled with me um, while, I was, while I was passed out. Wife comes to pick me up. I go on a longer leave. I go back and I'm in for two days. Blood pressure goes right back through the roof. I walk into HR and luckily she said, okay, we're going to give you three months severance and take your time. But it was one of those where I went home and thought, I can't physically work. I can't physically work. I could willpower and push through emotionally and push through spiritually and push through all those other places. But if my body's breaking down, my blood pressure is going to skyrocket. I mean, I showed, I have an Apple watch. I showed it to my doctor and the one period, she's like, this is the levels of someone in a car accident, but you had it for half an hour. So what do you do? You go, I can't work. What if I can't function in an office environment? And so as I've been talking to counseling, it's PTSD, basically, which is a weird thing to claim. I feel almost bad claiming it. So I'm reading these books. The body keeps the score. The mind is, the brain is always listening. Counseling has been super helpful, leaning on all my support network, but it had to change because I have to be able to function. I take it so personal when my body doesn't do what I needed to do. Like I get greatly offended. And <laughs> I feel this sense of shame. So after the summit, I was inexplicably exhausted. For over a week, I was barely hanging in there. And, you know, I went to work, I plowed through, and my family got the rest of me, which really wasn't very much. And I would constantly apologize for being exhausted because I was so ashamed because I am used to operating and being productive and efficient and energy. And the tank was so empty. And I listened to myself apologize in a meeting for being so tired. And I'm like, that's a little messed up. Like, if you're tired, you're tired. <laughs> Here's the thing. It's not just your body letting what happens when that happens to us, right? I don't like absorbing resources. I don't like asking for help. The helpers don't like doing that, right? No, I'm the, I'm the provider of things. And I feel, and not in a way that's proud or it's not, it's not that it's that I feel bad. Like I'm absorbing a resource that somebody else needs. There's so many people that have so many more needs than us. We all feel that way. It's why we do our work, right? When I was in the Christian space, I would never ask for prayer from people. They would gladly have done it, but I was like, 
my requests aren't that important and it's going to be fine. So I'd never do it. And I always remember that and go, gosh, that was not, not only am I, and we need to remember, I'm not, it's helpful to be in that space, but I'm depriving other people of an opportunity to engage and be part of my community. I'm actually limiting their ability to be really part of my community when I do that. Hello. I wanted to pop in here real quick to remind you that this podcast is an ecosystem. And the best part, you can become part of it. You can listen, share it with the people in your life who need to hear what we're talking about, and you can engage in the conversation. What are you taking away from today's episode? What resonates? What do I need to know as we move through this season together? I would love to hear from you. Head over to speakpipe.com slash burnbothends and share what's on your mind. And with any luck, we'll hear from you in the final episode of this season. And now back to the show. Fill us in on how you're doing now. What things have changed? What has gotten to a point? Hopefully your blood pressure is a little lower now that we're talking. What has worked? What's better? And what is still on the fritz? What are you still working through? One of the things that changed and this is a weird one. I have, so we have two kids, uh, two girls. They're nine and seven. They're amazing. Um, and my wife is a graphic designer and is ex excellent graphic designer. And when we had kids, she went freelance. It made a lot of sense. She could, her schedule was malleable. She didn't have to worry about meetings. And my schedule is always pretty flexible too. We we do a lot of stuff together at home. That was a better setup. So I always had the, she would make as much money as me, but I had the primary job. And yeah. the 401k and the, all of those things. So I've carried that for 20 years. And as we're talking about it recently, our girls are now in elementary school. And she had a couple offers for a full-time position. And we had never considered this before, that maybe she should be the one that's full-time. She actually, she's more introverted, more focused, much more detail-oriented. She's such a better employee than I'm a bit of a mess. And so she was like, well, maybe I'll do that. And the right job came up with a client she'd had for five years. It was like the universe just threw it at us right at the right time and actually offered her a reasonable salary for the first time. So now she carries health insurance for us. It just started two weeks ago. But all this came out of this of, wait, I've been carrying that pressure and I never said anything about it because it just was what we did. And so she's actually much happier now because she was hustling like crazy and managing clients and it actually is less work for her and it feels like less pressure for me. But that change was huge mixed with her and I spent a lot of time talking about what's hard and same with my counsel, like Monday's really hard. Okay, how do we deal with that? How do we make that better? Um, conflict. I don't like bringing conflict to a team. The PTSD caused me to not want to bring conflict, but they're hiring me to bring conflict because they want my input. Yeah. So how do I do that? Um, how do I deal with accepting scrutiny because I'm in a field where I had to learn? So all those, but having a counselor to talk to and my wife to talk to and my friends, I actually had a breakdown at uh, New Year's with a bunch of friends. They brought up money and I like got so mad and it came up and I, and it just triggered something in me and they were all trying to help. And I was got so frustrated. They were all helping me that I freaked out. And they're all like, what's wrong with you? And they actually told me, this was really surprising. They, they said, you're a perfectionist. And you know me. Like, is that, that is not how I would describe myself. But they said, you're relationally a perfectionist. And I want to present like, I have my life together. 
not necessarily my work, not necessarily my money, not in ways that normal people do, but I really do. And you don't ever tell us this stuff. And I realized I'd not, these are my best friends from middle school. And I realized I did that. And so I kind of let them in on more. And so this is really what I'm struggling with. And so then they were able to lean in with me. And um, so just called in all the resources that I had. And so it's resulted in some pretty big shifts in our family, pretty big shifts for me, um, where I look at work differently. I work, I, and so it's a bunch of little tactics and some massive changes at the same time. That sounds so uncomfortable telling other people what's really going on. Like I've been in this very fortunate situation, sort of, for the last two and a half years that where we live, I don't really have friends because we moved here, the pandemic broke out. We didn't meet anyone. Everybody stayed in their homes for two years that I haven't had to share anything with anyone. And I've just been <laughs> like managing that with myself. And if you told me I have to go and tell the few friends I do have about what I'm scared of or what I'm struggling with. I, I don't want that. I, I don't want them to think of me like someone who needs help. I'm, I'm, I'm light years behind you in this process, David. It's funny you say that because I, I think that's one of the things that's missing. Um, the Catholic Church gets ragged on for confession, and I understand. It's systematized, and it's, it's weird, and it's like, I don't like that setup. But the real version of that was there's a there's a line in scripture that says you have to confess to each other to experience the fullness of forgiveness. It's not enough even to just pray it is the point. You have to say it to another human. And this is across all religions and everybody that thinks about philosophy and stuff too, is that this idea of that words have power, especially spoken to another person. And we're bad at it. Humans are bad at confession. And it's a amazing practice. Um, having someone that can see your broken worst place and help fix and clean and just observe it and go me too or say oh I'm sorry or just go yeah and you find out I'm okay even with that that power is massive for healing and moving on and it doesn't happen in any other space than actual like confessing to another person I think we're missing it it's a huge practice that is valuable it's part of what happens when you have those it happens by accident on those trips when you're around other people and usually you have a glass of wine or two and then, you know, it helps, yeah. helps everybody. But yeah. You're right that words have power. And I think that's what I'm so scared of. It's so loaded. And I've kept a lot of like the professional stuff to myself for so long that if I were to share it with someone, I feel like I, I would just fall apart, like a break into a million pieces. And it, it would be a tidal wave of, stuff coming out from the last few years that I, that's why I don't want to share it. I don't think I could bear it. I think it's enormous. Would that happen even with like a stranger, like a counselor? Because I know it's worse with someone that is like in your life and that knows other people, but would it even happen with a counselor? Because I think it, for me, it's scary to say, it's scary to write things down with a pen. Typing's different, but it's scary sometimes even in a journal to write it, but you can take steps to get there. And the first one is handwriting it just to yourself and you can throw it away after burn it after but there's something about putting the words on a paper that is one step in that direction and just see how far you can get because sometimes i get to stuff and i'm like i can't even write that sentence and at least i found a pain point and so then when you can write it then maybe i can tell my counselor later and then maybe i can talk to a friend later and and you can undo the shame and guilt and damage that's all tied to that thing that you can't even write 
I do have a writing practice, and that is probably is the reason that I am functional. I, I managed navigated through the last <laughs> two and a half years. Um, actually, if you don't mind, I've been wanting to ask you this since we last talked in Durham. The word finding a counselor or a therapist is super foreign for me because I don't know of anyone who is has a therapist. I mean, I'm sure they do and they don't talk about it, but it seems like it's this big nebulous dark box of some people have therapists and I don't know what happens and I don't know who pays for it and I don't know how often you go talk to them. I don't even know how you would find one. And they come out the other end and they seem to be doing much better than so many of us. Can you share a little bit about how does one find a therapist? How does that work? One of the best ways is if you know someone that sees one that's near you, I would ask them. And I'm a fan of in-person counseling a little more. Currently, I'm at an online thing, BetterHelp. You can Google the online therapy things. They're they're fine. It's working for me now um, because I went to one local and was I, I was spoiled in D.C. We were we were good friends with the leading psychologist from the Bahamas. And so he had a practice in D.C. and the Bahamas. And so I had an excellent therapist in D.C. twice. And then I actually worked with a man who taught behavioral psychology, cognitive therapy at GW. He worked with my youth group with me. So our youth group really was group therapy. We just didn't tell the kids. But it, it worked. It was actually practical and useful work. And so I had this leg up of, you know, honestly, if it was mine, I would look for behavioral cognitive because that is the, the more scientifically proven kind of therapy. And you can go, you can go research this if you want to see, but that kind of works really well. There's lots of ways they do that, but honestly, just try a few counts, find somewhere that's, that's decently well recommended. And my advice would be, if it's not a fit, pick another one. If it's not a fit, pick another one. And you just go a few times and find out the right one. The, the point is a good therapist should help you figure out you. And so you'll know it when you find the person that's helping you do that the right way. But I would, yeah, I would just ask someone that has one, find somebody local. Gosh, there's no magic way to do it. It's going to be a trial and error at a certain level because it's just who do you connect with. But yeah, and if that's scary in person, you pick one of the online ones and test it out and see how it goes. And they're all across the board. You ask the question of how does it work? Usually you do like a six month intensive where you're meeting every other week or once a month, and then it will slow down. Um, because you come in with a certain issue and then you're just kind of in a maintenance mode. But some of them are even more than that. If you're in a deep crisis, uh, they'll meet two or three times a week as you need to. Um, so my current, the one that I have, it's like a couple hundred bucks a month and I can meet as often as I want. And I have texting, texting access to my counselor all the time. So when you say you come in with an issue, can you just come in and say, help, I'm an ecosystem builder and I need help with everything. And a good counselor go, tell me about that. They'll say, tell me about ecosystem building. And then they'll just listen and they'll go, huh, why does that happen to you? What is this? And they, they um, honestly shouldn't give you much advice. They really should just be asking you questions where you go like, oh. And then you go think about it and you come back and you're like, all right, that brought up five more questions. And you just keep digging. And that's where they're like, if they're good at that, they're just listeners that are good at asking those questions that really are you answering yourself. And from time to time, they say, here's a resource or here's a resource, yeah. you know, things like that. But um but yeah, that's what they do. They go, what's an ecosystem builder? And then they'd hear about it. They go, gosh, that sounds difficult. Do you find that that's stressful? Does it wear you out? How do you recharge? You know, they'll just ask, you know, it sounds like you wanted to be more rested. How do you do? You know, and they just do that for you. Someone asked me what an ecosystem builder is. I I will happily spend two hours in their office <laughs> just yeah. filling them in on the last 10 years of development and economic development. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. David, 
you have firsthand experience as a community builder, a servant leader, an ecosystem builder, an advisor to entrepreneurs. We talked a little earlier, you're not necessarily a life coach, you're certainly a business coach, but you're looking at the business really holistically as, yes, it's that thing that operates and, you know, generate value and, and financial capital. But there's also the business person and that person is a person at the end of the day. How can people work with you? How can they get a piece of you? How can they connect and learn from your experience so that you can pass that on and help other people not make the same mistakes that you and I just talked about? Connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to hear what you're working on. The way I describe myself currently, uh, product development, but I specialize a bit in nonprofit product development. So all of us ecosystem builders, even if you're in a for-profit, um, product development around people is often where that goes. So Actually, I'm a data nerd as well, so I enjoy building out systems that actually can measure the impact, social impact, but those are all very specific in different places. So it's fun to work on that and like, who is the real client and how do you, you know, because it's, they're funky whenever you're doing community building. Uh, so I love doing that work, but it always leads into this other question of, if I only last two years in a role, I don't think that I actually make any positive impact. Um, and we've talked about this, especially in ecosystem building, but if people are in any passion work, actually, it, it could be nursing, it could be teaching. If I don't last very long, you don't actually make an impact, and especially ecosystem building, because we are in a trust building environment, but also a trust transferring environment if we want to have long-term impact. The issue is that even if you're a great ecosystem builder and you gain five or six organizations trust to collab, say to, to even to my org. But really it's through me. If I really am the linchpin that's holding all of those things together, when I leave, say I'm there for five years, say I'm there for a decade. When I leave and that is pulled, all that falls back apart. And what happens actually is worse. You may cause more damage because on the other side, you end up with all those companies and all the community going, remember, remember when David was here. And that may feel good as the ecosystem. So I leave that community. They miss when I was there. I miss being there. Everybody's damaged. Instead of if I'm there long enough and if I'm healthy and I don't need to be gaining emotional and I don't know, we're a bit of narcissists actually, support from that community development, then I can do trust transfer. Where I actually go, I need five people in this org to also be connected here. I need the organizations to be connected. I need, I need to take the trust they give me and I need to now spread it. Where that it, because then when I leave, the, the goal is that I become unnecessary. If I leave and nothing changes and it keeps growing just how it was, then I actually impact it. But that means I need to be super healthy. And that means that I need to last 20 years, Absolutely. at least five, at least five, right? Five, 10, 20 years in a row. So if that's the case, you've got to fight super hard to be healthy. And we need the healthiest version of you. Um, possible because that's actually what's best for your support network. That's best for your community. The healthiest you is the best and it's not selfish to do that. So that comes in very quickly along with the product development. Like you are a piece of the product. And so yep. it is not exactly life coaching. It is balance coaching and figuring out how do you, how do you build this and yourself and your own community in a way so that you can last long enough to produce a truly positive result in the community you're working in. So it's really more about optimizing. And what I hear you say is really anyone who does passion-driven work needs to figure out how other pieces fit together. And let's be honest, like if your body is giving up on you, 
you can't do your best possible work. And we don't want it to get to that point. So really, we want to intervene early and often to make sure that be you, be it an ecosystem builder, a social entrepreneur, a nonprofit, a community organization, whatever you want to call it, this work takes so long. And if you're burning out five years in, two years in, you're not serving anyone. And to your point, you may actually cause more damage than good by sacrificing yourself as well-meaning as that is and as, as good as that may feel. Doing an amazing, unsustainable job in this kind of role is, is damaging. And it's a hard thing for us to hear, but it is. I totally agree. I do want to come back to what you said in terms of we got to make sure we're healthy in, in all the different ways in which we can define health. What needs to be in place for you personally to do this work sustainably and long, long, long term? One we sort of talked about already, and this is me personally, um, but I have found a lot of value in giving other people authority over me in places. <laughs> so specifically my, my wife. I'm glad she told me that I was hurting our marriage. So we had a discussion when I was a youth worker. I'm working with high school girls and I was like 25. She had full authority to say that this seems like an inappropriate thing or that could be misconstrued or anything because I needed her help and eyes on it because I was their kids. But that is a dangerous thing. People fail that way. So she had full authority to be like, don't do this about anything because I needed it. That goes out to all sorts of things. She tells me to go to bed. Sleep is a huge part of my health. Um, I have a sleep disorder attached to my anxiety. It manifests as sleep problems. So she makes sure I sleep. Um, she makes sure that I don't do things that will disrupt my sleep. She makes sure that I get out in the sun when it's available. That I work out because we've known all the things I've learned through therapy that are my, the David rules of healthy David. Oh. Um, right. So there's a whole set of those. I know certain triggers that are going to cause me to do certain things. I know. And then I passed those to her and gave her the authority to help me with them. And then I, my job is to not fight. My job is to accept that authority that I gave her. Um, now there's other people with differing amounts of authority, all sorts of other places too that they know they can tell me like, you're being an idiot or like, stop talking so much, David. Lots of people have the ability to tell me to stop talking because I actually like listening more and I end up talking too much. Things like that, do that, all that stuff. Give people authority in the right places where they can help you because they, they will and you'll listen to them, especially when you give them that. You say, no, I need you to do these things for me. That's really powerful. No one has ever brought that up to me again, but now that you say it, it makes a lot of sense. David, let's say you get triggered or really just your calendar like takes over and you have too much going on and you can feel you're headed down the wrong way and you don't know how to get out. What is your first line of defense when things go south? How do you rescue yourself? <laughs> when I'm unhealthy, I take a nap. <laughs> so I, that is my bad response. Um, I run to sleep. Uh, no, but my, my good defense really is usually people. Um, I try to get some space. I will go out on the front porch with my guitar is very cathartic. That is one of my immediate ones. There's something about music and rhythm, but that's just for a minute to kind of like reset. And I have some breathing techniques, you know, I'll do like a mini meditation, but then I go talk to Anna or I go call my best friend. Um, I find a humans. Um, they are my first thing and there's certain ones in certain scenarios, but you know, it's, it's either her or some of my friends here and 
again, she knows because she knows me and she knows the situation and she'll say, okay, just do one task. Okay. And I can get through that thing and then just do something. And, or she'll say, yeah, you've been fine. Take the day off. Right. And she knows. And so she will help me when my brain's not working properly and I make, I would make a poor decision. She helps me go back to like, here's logical David that we've talked about and what you're supposed to do. So it's, it is, it's, yeah, it's guitar, some physical movement, and then humans every time. So do you just pick up the phone and say, I'm not doing so great, I need help? And then there's people on the other end who say, no problem, I got you. Here's, I want you to try this or I want you to do that. Yep. Man, I have a lot to learn. That is awesome. <laughs> I love that you have that. I really do. Um, <laughs> this is why I host this show. Yeah, it's just, it's just therapeutic for you. Yeah, I understand. I see what's happening here. I can learn from those who are way ahead of me how to do this and how to do it better. So thank you for sharing. Do you know how many people would do that for you if you asked? Yeah, but you heard me say that. I know. I know. That's I'm just not on and, the menu. And here's how, as a giver, here's how you can, you can logic it for yourself of the actual love getting to do that for you. They would really enjoy getting to do it. So you're doing it for them. Letting them help you is a favor to them. And some of that I'm, I know I'm sounding ridiculous as I say it because I feel bad, to, but it's really true. My friends, once I opened up that door and started letting them in more, they're really appreciative of that. I will keep that in mind going forward. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Total cop-out answer, but what am uh -huh. I going to say? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to call you and say like, all right, tell me what you need help with. Just out of the blue. And I'll just force it on you in reverse. Great. You know, I will not pick up when you call. <laughs> I know you won't. Now that I, I know, know that. I've ruined it. I know. This is super fun. I could talk with you for hours about this, and I hope we will get to have you back on the show and talk more about how your retreats are going and how your coaching is going. So I can't wait for that, maybe in a year or so. But until then, I want to let everybody know that they can come and connect with you on LinkedIn and start a conversation and find out what you're all about. I want to move on to the rapid fire question where I give you the beginning of a sentence and you get to finish it for me. How does that sound? Sounds good. Yes. Love it. Great. We'll see. Okay. Well, we'll see how it goes. I feel ready. We're going to find out what happens. <laughs> you, I think you're ready for this. Question number one, taking care of yourself means? Mm, restoration. Um, and I would actually use another spiritual Sabbath. Tell us more about that. I don't know what that means. Oh, so the, that concept is another one that's great. So Jewish concept, it's been carried over in the Christian faith too, but it's the idea is that you actually shut off everything for a day a week. Now, people do this in different ways, but if you can make that space, which is for, it's aimed at your community, it's aimed at your support network actually, is aimed to go back where you get time with them without distraction for an entire 24-hour period. And when you do that, ready, ready, rest. And not rest as in activity, but rest as in not outward facing, all just here with your most important things in time. So it could be phone call with friend. It's community self-care, like I've described. So if you did that for a day, turn off all your tech and escape to that one day a week, one day a month even. Um, so I, I'd use it as a uh, once a quarter. I take a couple days and go just by myself. And that's a new practice for me. It's wonderful. So that's how I Sabbath, you know, design it for yourself. What is the one practice, habit, or routine that 
every ecosystem builder, change maker, servant leader should know about? Gosh, can I give you a, I don't think there's an answer for that. I think it really depends on the person. They need to have a system where they figure out what it is, like Sabbath for me, they need to discover what that rest point is. How do they recharge? So I don't know if there's a specific habit to it. For me, meditation is key. Absolutely key for me. It may be different for someone else, so I don't know, but it needs to be the thing that actually recharges you. Um, so I'll say meditation um, and that there's no answer for that question. What is one resource that influenced you that you would recommend to other ecosystem builders? Okay, I'm going to give a sideways one. Um, and you've heard me talk about this one. And I know it's going to seem weird, but it's called Sustainable Youth Ministry. So be ready. It's like, if you're not a Christian, just ignore that stuff. Um, and there's not that much in there. Um, it is a book where they describe all of the systemic problems inside of youth ministry that have caused youth ministers to fail and burn out. I think there's a, a accompanying book that hasn't been written called The Sustainable Youth Minister. And so, and I think we could create the same book for ecosystem building. The Sustainable Ecosystem Builder and Sustainable Ecosystem Building. And it does such an excellent job of explaining how to create all of the systems that will outlast you. And it's so transferable. It's absolutely transferable to our work. And nobody's written that book for us. It comes from a group that was the, that still is the leading consultant group in youth ministry in the country. So it, it's resource. There's numbers. It's very technical on some side. And I highly recommend it. It's a, it'd be a quick read. Tell you what, David, we'll just bring you back once you've written that book and you can come back on the show <laughs> and tell us all about sustainable ecosystem building and the sustainable ecosystem builder. Look, I think the deal is that you and I are going to meet after you've done all these podcasts and we're going to compare notes and we will write that book together and then we can present it. And because I need your help, because you know that without someone like you, <laughs> that book will take until I'm 90 years old for me to write. <laughs> All right. I think we just publicly committed ourselves to writing a book. Excellent. Thank you. Um, this was so enjoyable. I always enjoy catching up with you. And I really I just from the heart, thank you for making time to have this conversation, to let other people in on your experience what you have witnessed in the space and how you are navigating through the space so that hopefully everybody who listens took something away from this conversation. I really appreciate it. Full disclosure, you know this, you're part of my support network. Every time, like even this, it, this is one of the things I do that restores me. So thank you. It's been a pleasure. You can connect with David on LinkedIn and meet him at Common House in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I pay my respect to the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, the Tuscarora, Shokori, Saponi, Okaniji, Lumbian Ino people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. I pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. This episode was produced by Yellowhouse Media. Music